This is a story of sorts, the podcast mostly about bookish stuff, and I am your host, Karina Pereira. Hello everyone! On this episode, I chat with Carly Heath about her young adult historical fiction novel, The Reckless Kind, about disability and queer representation in books, and her experience being a mentor for Pitch Wars. Have a listen. Carly, welcome to A Story of Swords. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, my name is Carly Heath, and I'm an author and teacher and animal lover. And I have uh, my new book, The Reckless Kind, is a young adult novel coming out for me at the time of this interview. It's coming out tomorrow. Yay. I know when the interview <laughs> airs, it'll probably be uh, in the past. Yes. But I am really excited that the book is coming out tomorrow. It's about uh, three misfit teens in 1904, uh, Scandinavia and a fictional Scandinavian country. And they defy the expectations of their rural Scandinavian village in every possible way. Uh, they leave their homes, they, uh, they leave their families, and they live in a little cottage above town in the mountains. And they uh, have to train a wild horse uh, for the village's annual winter horse race. You know what that reminded me of? A Knight's Tale? Oh, the when movie? They, yeah, because they kind of like, it's this complete group of, like in a sense, misfits for that society. Yes. And they all just go for a race. And that was yes. just so, it just gave me like flashbacks to the to the movie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I loved A Knight's Tale. That was, I remember loving that movie when that came out, like with yeah. Heath Ledger. He's great. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about uh, your writing journey. How has that been? Yeah, I started the book. Uh, I, I was really, I think I finished the first draft in 2014. And uh, I, but I had been really thinking about the book for so long and, you know, really grew from even thoughts I had in middle school and high school. Uh, I love little Norwegian fjord ponies, uh, which are these little, very round kind of thick butterscotch colored horses that live in Norway and they're like my favorite breed of horse and so I've always wanted to write something that that had Norwegian fjord ponies in it um and I uh and I had some like imagery of scenes from the book uh for a really long time like I broke my arm when I was 13 and so that kind of is in the book, like the, the, the breaking of the arm in the olden days, though, <laughs> you, you know, if you, if you broke the, your arm in the way that like I broke my arm, uh, it would be amputated. Uh, but of course, due to modern medicine, uh, things, you know, they can set things and plate things and everything, then, then it continues to be a functioning arm. Um, so yeah, I was kind of thinking a lot about like, what would it be like to be injured in the 19 early 1900s when modern medicine isn't what it is and uh and Gunnar who's one of the main characters he of course uh breaks his arm in a horse accident and uh and he has to have his arm amputated um so that's kind of the trigger of the start of the book and yeah so the book really kind of started from a lot of these random ideas that I was thinking about in middle school and high school. And then in 2014, I finished the first draft of the book. And then I knew it wasn't there yet. <laughs> uh, it was, it, it was a, a book, but it needed a lot of revising. So I spent really a full 
year after that, just revising and the book that it became after revisions was completely different than the book that I originally wrote. And in 2015, at the end of 2015, I sent out a few queries to agents, which is querying is what you do in order to get an agent who will then sell your book. And right away, I got a a nice full request, but I knew my book probably wasn't 100% yet. So I decided to wait until uh, I got feedback from that agent. And so I didn't query at all. And I was I was correct in my assumption that that agent replied back and gave me really, really good feedback. And I made revisions based on that feedback. And then also in 2016, Pitch Wars was coming around. And Pitch Wars is a competition where you submit your manuscript. uh, And if you're lucky, you get chosen by a mentor. uh, And then they guide you through the revision process and then you participate in an agent showcase in February. I met a lot of really awesome authors while preparing for Pitch Wars, and we swapped each other's manuscripts, so I got a lot of feedback uh, during that process. I didn't get accepted to Pitch Wars, and I didn't get accepted for Author Mentor Match, which happened after that, Uh, but uh, an agent I had queried previously uh, reached out expressing interest in the manuscript. And I signed with that agent and in 2017 uh, went on sub, which is the process of the agent sending the manuscript out to publishers for a year. (laughs) And then the manuscript didn't get sold and that agent left the business. Uh, And I had heard from a lot of people that Uh, That meant my manuscript was dead and had no chance and I should move on to the next thing. But I queried anyway to try and get a new agent. And luckily, I got a new agent about a month after I began querying. And I went on sub with that agent and that agent was able to sell the book. Um, And the book got sold in 2019. But now it's coming out in 2021 because as we found out, the whole uh, publishing process takes like the revising and the working with the editor and then just the timeline of things in Kidlet takes so long. Uh, So during that whole time uh, from 2014 to 2021, (laughs) I was basically revising, revising, revising and getting so much feedback from agents, from other editors who would say like they liked it, but, but they had feedback, they had suggestions for making things better. And so that whole time, you know, basically now the book that is what it is now is completely different than the first draft I wrote in 2014. And do you like, do you have an idea of when the story started to actually come to you in full? Like, because you you say you had all these ideas, but did you always want to write a book since you were uh, like a child or a teenager or? Yeah, well, you know, when I was a teenager and going into college, I wanted to be a filmmaker and I went to school for film. Uh, But I found out that, you know, you have this idea of a story in your head uh, and I wrote screenplays uh, and I, I even made some films. But when you make a film, like so much depends on things that are out of your control, like the other people that work for you and the uh, money that you're able to get. And with a book, though, you can spend years and years and years 
on this thing that you have complete control over. And what you then make is a, a reflection of of exactly what's in your head, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. but a film, yeah. So a film really isn't your own creation. It's just kind of what gets created by a group of people in a way. So I really found that filmmaking was my original dream, but novel writing is much more what appeals to me because of the ability to have c- complete control over it. And so I guess you, kind of after going through probably in 2012, this idea that like, I probably wasn't going to pursue film anymore. Um, I was doing a lot of drawing and sketching. And I remember really back in 2008, I was sketching characters from this book. Um, And then in, in really like uh, 2012, 2013, I kind of started like just writing down little ideas on note cards. I remember I had this board of just ideas and I, and I would put like little post-it notes on, on the board with like scene ideas. And so then it started to develop. And um, I think, and then I was training horses. And um, after I got done, I, and while the, the, I was training horses, I had a lot of ideas um, that after I got done, I would just start writing them down. And yeah, that's kind of how the book started. That's really that's really fun because usually yeah. people have like you're you're saying that it went as back as far back as 2008, and then like yeah. basically the bro- the book kind of grew up with you, and the ideas of the book changed as probably you also changed. And, uh, yeah, de- definitely. I I think like I, I feel like the book it like was there. And I would was just seeing little pieces of it, uh, all as yeah, really as far back as like 2008, seeing little pieces of it, and then it kind of it took all the way until 2021 for it to become fully formed in its like finished version of what it wanted to be. Was it there a point in which you actually sat down to write it and being like, okay, I'm going to make a manuscript out of it now? Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of like when the exact date was uh, I think it was some sometime in 2000 uh, I remember in 2013 I did write like the first line of, of the book that wasn't actually the first line as it's in the book now mm-hmm. uh, but I wrote the beginning of the scene where uh, Gunnar gets injured um, like I wrote the first line from that and I was like it's going to be something like this. And now and then I kind of put, yeah, I'm going to kind of put it aside. And then I think I really sat down in earnest in 2014 and it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try and make this happen. And that first draft, like I said, it's completely different from what is the finished product. It was, I had like a, one chapter that was written in third person and one and then it went into like this whole second part that was all um Asta's point of view and then it went into the last part which was all Erlen's point of view and then really in 2014 I worked on like doing alternate point of views between Asta and Erlen (laughs) so it's been through a lot of different version of work as well like rewriting is uh, <laughs> it's a lot yeah of it never really felt like work it always felt like uh like a sculpture that you're just kind of like like you know what it's it's gonna be um but you have to like work on slowly adding things cutting things away and like building it towards what it wants to be 
the book is set in Scandinavia in 1904, <laughs> as you said. Uh, why did you choose this specific place and period? Was all just because of the horses? Um, yeah, the horses were a big part <laughs> of it. I've always, yeah, I've really ever since I was a kid, like I've always been really interested in Scandinavia and Norway, like especially Norway. I've always thought it was like the most amazing, beautiful country. And it was really fun to research. Uh, now that Google Books is such a thing, you can go on Google Books and you can search for things like Norwegian guidebooks in the 18th, 1800s, you know, and uh, I was all from college, I had done a costume design project uh, for Much Ado About Nothing uh, set in the early 1900s. So just for that college project, I had done a lot of research into the time period. And so I was pretty familiar with it. And I also like the time period as a, as a uh, sort of transitional period from horses to motor cars. And it was a period where still most people were using horses as transportation. And then, but there were a few people who had motor cars, mostly for recreational purposes, uh, because you certainly couldn't, especially in Norway or Scandinavia, you couldn't go long distances in a motor car because everything would be snowed in. And I love oh, yeah. the, the old timey motoring journals. They have these awesome quotes and things that say things like, oh, motor cars are a lot of fun, but they're probably not going to be the main mode of transportation any time in the future, just because how will people get around when there's snow? Like, yeah. how, how will that work? Like, people are always going to need horses when it's snowing. And so it, it, it's really, it's really interesting to get into that mindset. Um, in and so it, as well, like knowing what you know now and how things are now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the it created some nice tension between the two brothers, uh, where Fred is very into horses and Gunnar is very into motor cars. Um, so I like that tension as well. And uh, and yeah, I I so I like the time period. Uh, I was really into Scandinavia, and um, a book that really helped me kind of also just get started jumping into the manuscript was I read uh, Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset, uh, which was uh, the book that helped Sigrid Unset become, uh, win the Nobel Prize for Literature. And that uh, book was really inspiring to me, like the setting and the characters. And uh, I didn't like, what I didn't like about uh, Kristen Lovren's daughter is the message, which is basically if you defy your parents, you will suffer. <laughs> so oh, seriously, yeah, like that's, that's the terrible. message. I know, <laughs> especially because like yeah, in your book there's found family, right? It's like the it, one of the bases of the book is found family. So that is yeah, I can understand now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of like I, there's so many things I love about uh, Kristen Lavern's daughter, like the setting and the characters, and I loved all of that, but I hated the message. So I'm like, okay, I. I'm going to kind of take the setting and the, the passion uh, of Christian Lovren's daughter, but like make it uh, a, a more feminist. Yeah. And, and I also read uh, Sigrid Unzitz. Uh, she wrote this little, just little book called Happy Times in Norway, uh, which gives a lot of flavor and texture of like Norway in the early 1900s. And it, it also features a Christmas race, which is, was very common in the, 
in the 1800s and early 1900s in places where it's winter, where people would get their ponies and they would pitch them to sleighs and have races. And in fact, there's this whole genre of art uh, that's features sleigh races and also disastrous sleigh, sleigh races, because I can imagine as a horse person yeah. <laughs> that, um, you know, having a bunch of people who are maybe a little tipsy on glug and uh, maybe don't get their ponies out all that often, deciding to have a race <laughs> on, on Christmas the snow. day like on the <laughs> on snow. The snow. <laughs> So yeah, there's all these paintings uh, from the 19th century that show sleighs like crashing and and being tipped over and uh, and you know horses like running away and people going ah you know <laughs> um, so that uh, the the Christmas race in uh, Happy Times in Norway also kind of inspired the Christmas race in the book. Of course, the Christmas race in the um, in Happy Times in Norway is just very simple. You know, oh, this is what we do. We we have this little race and um, and it was very bland, but I could picture all the things that could go wrong with that. <laughs> and then kind of translate it to, into your own story. Yes. Uh, in this book, there is a queer and disabled representation. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Was it always the case that you always wanted to include this uh, or uh, as the, the book changed, did those ideas come to mind? Yeah, that was a pretty like an early uh, decision when I was originally thinking of the story um, because like just in my life, like if I look around my group of friends, there's a whole bunch of diversity and just in myself, like I have a, multiple disabilities, like I'm hard of hearing, I have a you know, broken hand, I have a broken spine, I have post-concussion syndrome. But like when you look at books and media, like you rarely see disabled representation, which is bizarre because like, I would say it, it, it you're supposed to say like, I think it's like one in four people are disabled. Uh, but I, I, maybe it's just my friends because I hang out with horse, horse friends, but I think it's like nine in 10. <laughs> like, like, it seems like I can't even really think of someone who, in my circle of friends who isn't disabled in some way. So, uh, so yeah, I just, I'm like, when I'm writing something, I'm going to have like disabled representation and I'm going to have queer representation because queer people have always been around and disabled people have always been around and probably even more so in historical yeah. settings because of, you know, just the, the lack of medicine back then. So if someone broke something, it was probably going to get amputated. Yeah. Uh, and so, the, yeah, those were kind of the thoughts in my head and probably the thoughts that I will continue to to explore as I write everything because I want to re reflect the world as it really is and the world as it really is is really diverse. Yeah because like I always like to talk with authors when they include diversity in some way like when it's not the the same old stories you know st straight mm -hmm. cis white people and of <laughs> course it's always kind of like a silly question isn't even as i make it i kind of want to start a conversation because i also think yeah. it's important but when you ask why did you decide to include queer people or disabled people it's like why not yeah. obviously um yeah. but I, it's also like a tough not a tough but like how do i start talking about this without making this silly question 
of yeah. why would you like to introduce this representation in the book when it's obvious why we should want to do that? <laughs> yeah, the real question is why haven't they been? Yeah. Uh, why hasn't this representation been in books and media in, yeah. until but, like really just now? Yeah. And the question really should be like, why did you decide to make all the characters in in a book abled like that yeah. it would be really interesting if more authors got that question like yeah but well, it, like, we are why so is used there no to, disability in your book exactly <laughs> you know? but we are so used to you know to like being the mainstream without diversity that when mm-hmm. finally luckily publishers start um publishing books with diversity Mm-hmm. You kind of feel like I have to bring this to the conversation because I want to talk about it because I do think mm-hmm. it's important. But it is, it is like, yeah, what kind of question is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, how am I going to talk about it without making it a question like that? When yes, it's such exactly. an obvious thing and it's so, so good that people nowadays are actually making those changes and, and, and like either its own voices or not. And they are contributing to us having so much diversity in in stories because like I host a book club and -hmm. sometimes it is so complicated to to find books with disabled representation because I always try to it's basically um, a book club where we talk about social justice and other matters like that Mm -hmm. and you really have to dig deep especially deep sorry especially to find um, in adult themes because young Mm -hmm. adults there's more because obviously there's usually a moral um, mm-hmm. in young adult uh, books but even for adults it's sometimes very difficult to find certain representation with books that most adults would like to read because I really like young adults but some mm-hmm. adults don't yeah so uh, yeah 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 I, I wonder why it has been like why has disability erasure happened in queer erasure and I think it has to do with this idea of um, like a taboo, like it's almost taboo in society to acknowledge that people are disabled. And there's like, uh, you know, I'm just thinking from an early age of like children being like, oh, don't, don't acknowledge or pay attention to that person's disability. Or you see, you see someone with like a visual disability and you're like, oh, you're not supposed to, you're, you're not supposed to notice that you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. so it makes this mind's idea in our head that, oh, everyone must be abled. And then if you're disabled in some way, you're like an aberration, you're like, you're different. Um, and also maybe might be like a capitalist thing too, because, you know, in order for capitalism to succeed, uh, they, they want everyone to be a a, a worker like a functioning yeah, super worker. productive <laughs> yeah like productive. in a specific way because you can yes. be productive in many ways of course but yeah very specific way and uh, like even me when I'm applying for a job I do have lots of dis- disabilities but I always checked not not disabled because I don't want it to count against me yeah. um and I definitely don't like say anything about it um yeah. and I think that's also because because of, of the taboo thing like uh I don't, yeah, I don't, um, I'm like, anytime I mention like, oh, I'm hard of hearing and I'm not wearing my hearing aids right now. So I'm kind of having a hard time understanding what's going on. Um, Like there's a little bit of awkwardness there. So I think maybe what we need to do is just make uh, things a little bit more like less taboo, just, just, you know, 
acknowledging that people are disabled and that probably uh, most everyone is disabled in some way and just normalize it. Yeah, but also like a book doesn't necessarily, because I do have a feeling that the books that, not now maybe, but a few years back, if you had a book with disabled uh, representation, the disability was the main focus of the book. So you mm-hmm. talk about this person who, for example, is in a wheelchair and mm-hmm. the um, whatever difficulties they have dealing with that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of just being a person that happens to be in a wheelchair and, for example, is in a romance. Yes. You know, so the disability is not what's defining the story. It's mm-hmm. it's just what yeah it's just you know it's there because it exists of course um and i think it's really cool that nowadays people are changing that as well you just have certain representation not focusing on the representation but because you know those people exist and then like they're everywhere around us and I am thinking I did uh, re- do remember getting like a little bit of pushback, uh, sometimes occasionally from people who are reading early drafts of the book. Uh, they would say things like, is it necessary to make Asta hard of hearing because it doesn't impact the plot at all? And it's it's like <laughs> weird that like someone's identity yeah. would have to impact the plot. Like, yeah. like it's just the way she is. It doesn't impact or- the plot. It's just, yeah. Or that the, the disability has to be the like the, the person's personality and it's not that. And uh, and I think like the, the whole capitalist paradigm is also like, oh, you have to overcome your disability. So there's a lot of books like where uh, someone either is like, you know, the term is super crip, like they they overcome their disability and oh, it's supposed to be inspirational or they uh they decide that they're a burden and then they kill themselves, which is oh. awful, which is like, yeah, which is like not oh. a good, good but, oh. but that has been something that is seen in books. Um, and really like all the way back into the 1900s, there's that theme of like people, uh, disabled people dying by suicide because they don't want to be a burden to their family members. Oh. And that's really uh, problematic as well. And that says something about uh, I think our society that that those sorts of stories were just going out there without question like oh yeah that's a sure it makes sense uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is a bit I do think uh, and it's it kind of brings me back to something a bit different I guess but it which is um, a little life the book a little uh, life I I read that book a, a few years ago and I, I loved it the first time around but I did come out of the book kind of thinking who wrote it did this person kind of go through the same things? Because in a sense, I think what makes the book so good is that it is so sad. And it kind of feels like we are romanticizing the sadness of all the abuse the character, the main character went through. I must confess, I only read like, uh, I want to say like 25% of it. I like, yeah. I the, I thought the writing was amazing. Yes, like the way definitely. it was written. Um, I so I have to finish the book sometime in it's order long. to like it's 700 pages long <laughs> yeah in order to apply commentary uh, but, but I, I, what what I did read read I was like oh wow all these characters are so like fully drawn and vivid and so I'm gonna have to finish the rest of it and figure out like if I have a, a thought or perspective on it because um, it seems like we're I, I know some people have criticized the author but the author is also kind of private so yeah. I, I'm kind of like, well, who's to say, who's to start asking about that author's identity yeah, and their exactly. experience? 
because the author wants to be like really private. And, and if, I don't know if, if the book like feels real and the book um, is touching people. Yeah. I think that's valid. But like I said, I need to read the book before I uh, <laughs> provide commentary on it. <laughs> but it, it kind of reminded me of that because I think it's something that I've been thinking more about in the last few months, uh, especially because mm-hmm. like the author came with the, there's a new book out and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it really made me think about that, about like, there was a lot of talk, for example, about John Green, writing the fault in our stars with you know that there's two mm-hmm. people who, who suffer from cancer um and people saying okay but is this romanticizing cancer is this romanticizing disease uh it did work at the hospital with you yeah. know patients it's it's based on someone that he knew etc but it does con- sometimes make you think when you come out of a book and you kind of wonder the 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 most beautiful thing about this book is how sad it is Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I really like the faults in their stars. Oh, um, me too. I, like, I loved it. I mean, <laughs> I, I liked how he's really good at like making characters that feel like really real. Yeah. And he's really good at like the perspective. He, he, there's like a lot of humor in the book. The book is, is really funny. Um, and I think that's like a, a really important perspective because it's not all sad it's no, like no, it's, it's like not. a very funny book and it's a and it's very like the way the character uh kind of cope with their um their conditions is very it, it's very it feels very authentic and I think it I, you know, people like ask John Green, oh, is this based on real life and everything? And I'm like, well, it kind of feels like it is. Yeah, but but then you, you'll find out that he worked in, uh, I really like him. Like I read yeah. the Anthropocene Reviewed and that man had me crying about ridiculous things yeah. in football that I don't care about. Um, but that's why I'm saying like a lot of people um, did mention like how did he write this and then what kind of things is he trying to achieve with this? Uh, but again, he did r- work with cancer patients mm-hmm. and he did work at hospital. So, but, but you do sometimes kind of measure a book, like I said, like the, a little life and all the things that happen in that book. And, um, and it makes me think, it makes me think a little bit like what, why do I find it so good? And do I just enjoy the suffering? Like, am I here just to feel sorry for that person? You know, it, well, yeah, I think there's more to it than just the suffering. Like it makes you think. And oh, yeah, I think sure. there's a lot of books that are very like that t- touch people. And I think um if if the book is touching people and the, like in a and making them feel something and making them a, like really think and the and it's not harmful. Um I think that's 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 good. Um, that, that, no, you know, yeah, and maybe some, some things, some books are not for everyone too. Like, you know, and that's why I also think trigger warnings and content warnings are uh, important um, so that people who might, you, you know, I, cause I, I've actually been there where I have read things and I'm like, I wish I did not read that because yeah. now I'm going to have to, that, that triggered my trauma in a way that I didn't, need to and now yeah. I'm I can't unthink the thoughts I had while I was reading that um so yeah I'm a big fan of content warnings and trigger warnings and I'm also a big fan I guess of not gatekeeping books and not uh book shaming people like if someone likes likes a book and like 
other people like that book didn't work for them. <laughs> like yes. I'm not a fan of people going like, oh, you like that book? Elitism is, and snobbery. Elitism, like, yeah. Please <laughs> do not do that. And I know that we all, I know we all have a tendency to be snobs sometimes, you know, yeah. like to, to kind of, yeah. oh, oh, you read that. So, and it, it, it takes a long time to kind of lose that and to not <laughs> react to your first instinct. Which mm -hmm. is, oh, you read that because that's bad literature or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I do, like, I, I've i spoken uh, with other people on this podcast about it. Um, I have no patience for people, like, making fun of Instagrammers and, and just, like, yeah. people are just being happy. So let them be. Let them read yes. whatever they want, right? Let the people <laughs> enjoy the things. Um, I do believe in reading critically, though. And, yeah, definitely. And yes. examining power structures and and thinking about things like like is this book upholding white supremacy um is this book failing to interrogate issues of uh you know representation is this is this book like um um creating harmful tropes or or, or you know that sort of thing i think is important to think about yeah. uh, but i admit there are books that i read and i'm like i the way the story is told is really engaging and the and the characters are really engaging and yeah the author is problematic and some of the themes in the book are pro problematic but i identify what is done well in the book and I identify that this book touched me in a certain way and um yeah maybe I'm not going to be loud on on Twitter like proclaiming this author is the best author and this <laughs> book is the best book and I, you know I will challenge anyone who fight who says otherwise like okay like I, I believe in nuance and I believe in like okay you feel free to like the thing that you like. Um, I encourage everyone to think critically about what they're liking and what they're reading. Um, but don't, I, I don't think anyone should be shamed for liking something. No, I, I do think that there's, there's, I think, a work, uh, work to be done from both sides. Like mm -hmm. the, the reader has to accept that a book is problematic. Mm -hmm. And the, the people on the other side have to accept that you may enjoy something that's problematic. I've, I've yeah. spoken about like Twilight, for example. I know Stephanie yep. Meyer is problematic. I know the book has, especially the new one, um, is like the, 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 that I didn't even finish, but the, the book has a lot of problematic issues there. Did I still enjoy them? Hell yeah. Like I still enjoy them. I still take yeah. fun in, in like take joy from remembering the joys that the book the book brought me when I first read it. But yeah. that's it. Like enjoy whatever you like as long as you keep a critic eye on it. <laughs> and if people do tell you, listen, just don't support it, like don't go shouting about it everywhere because yeah. the author is a shitty person. I think <laughs> just, just yeah just like be mindful of yeah. that because that's going to hurt people right it's yeah yeah you like you can think about okay like if you really like a, a problematic author well that's great you can like that person and maybe like think about okay you know I'm gonna work a little extra hard to uh, boost and shout out about the people who are are actually doing good work in the areas that like you know that this um, person is failing yeah. So like, you know, you might secretly like the Harry Potter books or you might like the Harry Potter books, uh, but you, maybe on social media, you do a little extra to boost trans authors and queer authors and get really loud about those. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, 
don't go jumping into people's mentions when they start talking about the problematic things about Harry Potter. You be, you'd exactly. be like, okay, yes, I agree. Harry Potter's problematic. <laughs> yeah, know? no, definitely. I think you can enjoy something and still know it's cheating. Yeah, yeah. Like exactly. without having to promote it. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that's... I think, yeah. There's, there's like a cultish thing around fan culture, though. I, you can definitely see it in certain authors and their followings. Like, yeah. there's this, like, how dare you ever say anything negative about this particular author I like, and I'm going to defend them to the death. And it's like, well, the author that you like is problematic, but um, just accept but, that. Just understand that the world is complex. <laughs> I find that way of thinking, like, so weird, because yeah. when I find someone that I really like, and I was a a very big Harry Potter fan as well. I like instead most people get defensive. This is my thing. Don't attack it. And for me, it's like I'm so sad. But they are absolutely right, and I do not want to support this. Mm -hmm. um, so I always get a bit like it's so weird. And oh, this was like a big part of my life. It's a big part of a lot of people's lives, including the people mm -hmm. she is attacking. Yes. <laughs> and it's like think about them. Think about them. So yeah. 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 And you can kind of think about it too, in like a wider system, like, like you can even think of not just in a fandom, but like in your country, like, especially like in America, you might really like living in America, but oh, yeah. this country yeah. has a whole lot of problems. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's important to acknowledge the problems and because you can make something better if you acknowledge what the issues are. But if you refuse to acknowledge the issues, like the fact that this country was founded on genocide and slavery and uh, that it's it's built up through systematic racism, like like it's really, really important that people who live here acknowledge that. Yes. And but there's whole groups of people who are trying to make uh, us forget that really really important history and are who are refusing to teach children about that really really important history and um then how are you ever going to make this country better if you're not learning about this problem yeah yeah it's it's kind of it's curious because i do feel the same way in relation I, uh, like in, i don't know for sure in the netherlands but in portugal as well in the mm -hmm. sense that i do think that some people forget that you can love a country deeply and still see its flaws mm -hmm. and still understand that you can still love a country deeply well mm -hmm. you know a country is not a person but you know what i mean like just be proud of you know being whatever you are mm -hmm. and yet see the flaws and want to change and a lot of people are like mm -hmm. no like this country is the best country in the world and a lot of portuguese people say that so yeah. we don't you know you don't really need to touch on those extreme important issues which is racism because portugal is not racist so it's like people think for me to be a patriot means that i have to be blind to those spots and it really it really drives me insane and it's yeah, yeah. it's what you were saying like it's like how you how will you grow and it's really you can even take it to like a personal level like you can love yourself but you also have to acknowledge your imperfections in order yeah. to grow and become a better person exactly right? exactly yeah. So, but yeah, <laughs> so going back to going back to the book, um, well, because of this as well, because like the, the representation that we are talking about, you worked with a sense, sen I, I can never say these words, sensitive readers. Right? Yeah. 
Yes, I was very much a fan of working with sensitivity readers throughout the process. And so I, uh, I, and just like as I was drafting and revising just at various points, I would come across um, other people on Twitter. Um, and I saw that they were sensitivity readers. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to hire you. Can I hire you to read my manuscript and give feedback? And so I got actually a lot of different perspectives because um, there's like a lot of different representation in the book. And so anyone who's like, oh, sensitivity readers are, you know, are ruining the publishing industry or are, you know, making authors change their work. I'm like, no, they make your work better. Like every single time I had feedback from a sensitivity reader, like I, it helped me make my book more nuanced and more, uh, and just richer and better. Like there was never any, any time I was like, oh, darn, I wish I hadn't hired that sensitivity reader and learned about my book in a different perspective. Like everything was like, oh, thank, thank you for this feedback. This is all things that I can do to make my book so much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I did call them sensitive readers, but I hope they are not. I hope there's just sensitivity. <laughs> yeah, you, another term that's used is authenticity readers. Okay. Because and, I... Because <laughs> that's also useful because if you are, let's say you're writing a historical book, I actually didn't have like a like a historical scholar read my book I probably that would have been great but I think anyway I think it's it's, it's my book is kind of like well, a, so, a yeah. fantasy <laughs> so it's it's not yeah it's not like um but you know it's like if you would have uh, someone who okay I'm thinking of like a crime novel if you have a crime novel you're probably gonna have like a real person who's involved in law enforcement read it in order to make sure that all of that legal stuff is accurate it's real right yeah. um and so same with like any sort of representation like disability or uh people from ethnic backgrounds that are different than yours or people who from gender and sexual identity backgrounds that are different from yours uh having someone with that identity read your book and give feedback on it just 100 all the time makes your book better and would you say that Twitter is a good place to find sensitivity readers? Um, I just kind of randomly found people on Twitter um, just from people who I follow. <laughs> and I know there's probably a place on the internet where people can search for legit sensitivity readers. I don't know what that is, though. Um, oh, it's and that's it's okay. I was That's just kind of trying to, to, to figure out because you just mentioned that you follow, fo follow them and found them on Twitter. So uh, yeah, it's a um, good place to start. Yeah. And I think when Twitter is such a really useful part of writing because you can follow people who, um, who are involved in the type of conversations that you want to have in your work. Mm -hmm. And so you can learn from other people who are posting about uh the, the issues that are in, interesting and important to you. So like, you know, I follow a lot of uh, disability advocates on Twitter and just through kind of that, that osmosis um, kind of found out about people who were sensitivity readers and then just became friends too with people who were like, oh, this person actually would be really great to read your manuscript. 
And so that's how I'm, I connected with different people. And yeah, it just kind of happened. It wasn't like something I was consciously thinking about. Like it was just something that kind of happened as I was in the writing process. Speaking of uh, Twitter, you mentioned that you're a Pitch Wars mentor. Do you want to talk about it? Like how did that happen? How did you become a mentor and what does it entail yeah. So um, like back in 2016, I got, I didn't get chosen for Pitch Wars, uh, but it was a great learning process. And uh, then sold my my book, cut to now 2021. And I still follow the Pitch Wars account. And so um, I know every year they, they uh, open up a mentor applications so you can apply to be a mentor. So I applied to be a mentor last year, didn't get in, uh, but applied to be a mentor this year, got in. Um, and it's it's uh, really great because you then get a bunch of, you, you make your wish list of the types of manuscripts that you're interested in. And then you get a whole bunch of submissions. And I got over 70 submissions and I was not... The, the amount of reading that you have to do is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can imagine which is, 70 people. <laughs> which is which is great. Yeah, but it's uh, it's a lot. So if anyone is thinking about being a Pitch Wars mentor, it kind of felt like a full-time job. Uh, and I doing a Pitch Wars mentorship thing with uh, having a book coming out at the same time uh, was a lot on my plate. Um and it's, it really gives me a nice perspective on what agents and publishers are experiencing, getting a whole lot of, of books in. Because as a reader, you know, you kind of pick up the book that, that you like at that moment. But when you have like a stack of 70 books in front of you, basically, and you're like, okay, how do I pick which book I'm going to focus on for the next few months? Mm-hmm. And so I skim the quarry I kind of get into a habit of like reading the first page and if the first page is interesting to me I'll mark it green and then if the first page is kind of like okay I see this has potential or I'll make it maybe mark it yellow and rarely do I mark anything like no this is not there but there were a few um but what I do is uh, then I go back through the ones that I had green and I read a little bit more of them. Um, but it's really important to like get in the mental mind space of like, I have to really focus on, on this book. And if you read like 10 books in a row, it's really hard to like really focus on that book and what it needs. So you have to kind of take breaks and kind of read. I'll come in and read like five submissions and then like take a break and then yeah. like really focus. It's, so it's really, it's quite a mentally exhausting thing. And also I don't want to be like, you know, passing on something that might've been really good if I just hung with it for 10 or 20 more pages. <laughs> it's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's really a tough process and I can only imagine what agents go through well as a mentor in the pitch wars because pitch wars I know from what I understand and from what I've seen on Mm -hmm. Twitter is people basically trying to pitch their story to Mm -hmm. an agent right um and then if the agent likes the tweet with 
whatever they said that the story is about, they can message the agent, right? Okay, that is pit, that's pit mad, oh, which is a little another different. One. Ah, yeah, okay, because I've seen both actually. Yeah, I, I've been, I've been, I was like, did I? Okay, they're different things. All right. Yeah, they're done by the same organization, but pit mad is you pitch you make a twitter length pitch of your book and then agents will like it and then if you if agents like it then you can um send them an email with your submission package and you know you can usually people put in the subject heading uh something like you liked it during pit mad or dv pit um so the agent knows but it's also perfectly valid to just cold query agents. That's how I got, you know, the agents I had in the past. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just a, a little way to see if someone is really interested. I basically, I don't know of what's better, uh, pit, you know, pitching mm -hmm. someone on Twitter or cold just querying. Sending. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I kind of... What is your job then as a mentor? Like what exactly okay. do you just give like feedback to yeah. the people who want to query after? So I, from my um, 70 manuscripts that I get, I pick one. Yeah. And oh, wow. I, from 70. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So that's why it's like oh, really, really difficult. stressful. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's extremely, extremely stressful to pick one out of that 70. So then I work with that. Uh, author on polishing up their manuscript to be as best as it can be and polishing up their query letter so it's as best as can be. And then in February, there's an agent showcase. So uh, their, their query letter and like a sample of their manuscript is put on the Pitch Wars website and agents can go through and read all of them and then comment, uh, you know, send this to me um, and then that is another way that um, people can get, you know, agent, yeah, yeah, agent uh, interest, as it were. But many people, like I said, uh, pitch wars is just kind of like an, a fun alternative to querying, and it's great that you that people can get feedback from other mentor from their mentor and. I, but I got my agents through cold querying. I didn't get accepted to pitch wars. So if anyone is watching or listening and they, uh, they didn't get into pitch wars, it's totally not, not even close to being any judgment of your quality of your writing, like just cold query and you're going to find an agent that way. Very well. Uh, it, and it's also, I think pitch wars and stuff like that in on Twitter in general, it's a, can be a nice way to find like-minded people because I know yeah. people who for example they are writers and they were writers all by themselves but obviously it's difficult sometimes to you know find the time to write when you don't have someone to kind of go go with it and tell you hey it's time to write so they kind of create those groups of writers and they have like a time to write together etc so I think Twitter can yep. be a, a really good place even pitch wars to kind of get to know other people um, that are like-minded yeah exactly like that I think that's the most valuable part of pitch wars when I entered and didn't get in was the friends I made and the uh, the feedback I got in my manuscript from other pitch wars hopefuls I want to ask a question that has nothing to do with your book mm -hmm. or your work and it's the fact that I've read that you were an extra in the princess diaries 
Oh yeah. I thought that was <laughs> the biggest deal when that happened. Uh, cause it was. Yeah, I, I mean, even it, now I think it is. <laughs> yes. Um, cause I was living in San Francisco at the time and that was where princess diaries was filming. So it was a big deal that they were, uh, hiring like people to be like the school children, uh, at Mia's school. And so as you guys know, uh, princess diaries by Meg Cabot is like the best book and the movies are great. And uh, so it was awesome. Like, I thought it was like a big deal to uh, be in. And so I can find myself when I watch Princess Diaries, I can find myself in maybe like six scenes, like in the background. (laughs) If you're looking, uh, we're all in school uniforms and I have like shoulder length black hair with bangs. Um, So and I'm like tall, a little bit taller than others. So like, if you look for someone who's kind of tall with black hair and bangs, um, that's me. That's yeah. kind of you looking out for, right? I'm, I'm going to, um, people are going to be like, what? I never watched The Princess Diaries. I saw a scene here and there. I know yeah. more or less what it is about because I also haven't read the books. But, um, uh-huh. the but books I, have not, I have not uh, watched the movie, even though I really like Anne, um, Anne Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a big deal. And actually, like at the time that was filmed, like Anne Hathaway was a nobody and uh, Mandy Moore was the big deal. And so I remember I was like, oh, my God, Mandy Moore. Like it was like a, a big deal. But but Anne Hathaway was really she was really nice. Um, they were both they were all like really, really nice. And uh, it was fun. So I'm going to keep when I watch it, keep an eye out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, what are you working on at the moment? And I don't know, maybe by the time this episode goes out, um, it will, it is going to be, you know, I don't know, maybe almost finished, but, uh, what are you working on this time? Yeah, I'm revising a YA fantasy, uh, that is set on a Scandinavian island. It's also a similar time period, like early 1900s. And, but this time it has magic. And there it's about a family that is cursed to transform into animals at some unknown point in their lives. And so the um, a boy who's like an orphan who's been taken in by the family and has fallen in love with the son, the only son of the family, um, sees that his love interest is beginning to transform into a fish. And so he needs to learn sorcery in order to defeat uh, this ancient villain who is the reason the curse has happened. And uh, and so he has to learn sorcery in five days in order to save his beloved. So you basically put the, there's a lot of fish in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Why did I even think of that? <laughs> I should throw that in somewhere. Plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> I just want that one. <laughs> Plenty of fish in the sea. That sounds super interesting as well, though. <laughs> um, where can people find you online? Um, on my website, uh, carlyheathauthor.com, and then on Twitter at Carly L. Heath, and Instagram at Carly Lynn Heath. That's Lynn spelled L Y N. And then on um, TikTok, also at Carly Lynn Heath. Great. I'm going to put everything on the show's notes so it's easier to find. And Thank you. now, this is always the last question of the podcast. I always ask for an all-time favorite book and a book you would recommend right now. Um, all-time favorite book. 
like it's a tie between Song of Achilles and Circe by Madeline Miller. Um, I I don't know if I would. Uh, you don't have I, to. I'll I don't know if I can pick easier. between the two. Like they're both really good. Because <laughs> everybody wants to kill me when I do. I, I make these questions like, how can you, a book lover, actually ask this from people? <laughs> I know. So I, yeah. I gave some. You know, you can choose more than one. <laughs> Um, but uh, a book I can recommend right now uh, would be what I'm reading, which is The City Beautiful by Aiden Polydoros. Um, let me turn it this way. It's backwards. <laughs> uh, this book is amazing. It's set in uh, 1890s in Chicago during the Chicago World's Fair. And it's it's a little bit scary. Uh, it's a very, I just love it. Really great characters. And um, I'm, I, I haven't gotten the chance to really focus on it and finish it because uh, everything that's been happening, but uh, I'm really looking forward to finishing it this week, week and it's really good. Very well. Um, Carly, thank you so much for coming to the podcast and for this great interview. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. It's really, really nice talking to you. <laughs> you can access today's show's notes via my pod page, which you can find along with all of my social media links at linktree slash Karina Pereira. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting A Story of Sorts on Patreon. Patreon is a platform which allows you to contribute monthly to the podcast in exchange for extra content such as early access to episodes, a shout-out at the end of an episode and on Instagram, and choosing a theme for me to talk about on the podcast. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash astoryofsorts. Leaving a review would also be highly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to get a notification when the next episode hits. I'll talk to you then, and thank you for listening.